Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. and welcome to another episode of our show. This is a, another unique one where I don't have any guests. As you can see, the studio is bare. It's just me sitting here. I'm going to do this more and more because often I will sit here in my office and I'll be cogitating and contemplating on conversations that I have had. And today's topic I want to just talk about, and I'm just going to freewheel a bit here, is meetings. How many times in a week do you attend meetings? And particularly in this post-COVID world, what I'm hearing more and more from leadership clients is that, hey, I'm more stressed, more busy around meetings than I was before 2020. In the old days, I used to be uh, required to attend uh, so many meetings uh, a week, maybe even a day or perhaps over a period of a month. Some were formal meetings with agendas, uh, but others were informal meetings. And they may not even have been called meetings. They may have been called gatherings or, you know, I don't know, a team grouping or whatever you want to call it. In all honesty, they were meetings. They were a group of people people getting together to discuss certain topics, to arrive at some conclusions, and maybe to come up with a form of plan of action to move some issue forward. So there were meetings, right? Uh, and so whether they were called specifically meetings or not, the point is that um, we, we have always really been required to attend meetings where we have participated in discussions and debates and uh, put our tuppence worth in, maybe our opinion, maybe our expertise, so that the greater good can come out of the meeting and we can arrive at some conclusion that takes our organisation, our team, to the next level, to achieve some kind of a mission or an objective. And meetings have a, have a, have, have a role to play in driving change, right? Because the actions that come out of meetings are change in of themselves. And meetings have been around for eons. We have been having meetings. You can take it right back into the, you know, the days of the Greek civilization where meetings were taking place all the time, where there were gatherings of men deciding upon the fate of a country or to enact some kind of a legislation. Meetings are so endemic in our societies that we don't even see them. We just take them for what they are. But I think there's a darker side to meetings. Uh, and that is for me, been shown more so when I have been talking to people in the post-COVID world. 
You see, what is happening right now is that, uh, you know, many of us are working isolated in our own environments. Maybe we're going into the office when nobody else is there as part of some hybrid arrangement that you might have with the organizations. As leaders, we are required to know exactly what our teams are up to, what our organizations are achieving in terms of the outputs and the outcomes uh, and, and, and whether they are working in line with the strategic objectives we may have set for our organization or our team. And one of the ways for us to achieve that is for us to get together and talk to other people. Maybe some of the people who are doing this work, maybe some of the people who are have a part to play. So these are like opportunities, if you like, to to catch up, to measure milestones, to see whether we're on track and going in the right direction and, and essentially to hold people to account as well as to form new ideas and agree new plans of action. But in the post-COVID world, the big difference is this, and this is what everybody else seems to be telling me right now. And um, I'm, I'm very disciplined when it comes to things like meetings. I make sure that there is time for me to recalibrate my thinking, to re-energize myself. Because sometimes, let's face it, you go to some meetings and you feel a bit de-energized because you might feel mentally exhausted or there may have been so many people. And if you're an introvert like me, you just need to take that step back. You need to do the breathing. You need to introspect. You need to reflect before you feel energized to go back into a meeting. As a natural introvert, it is very difficult for me to go from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. I feel exhausted after all of that because my energy is zapped after every single meeting and it's just, an, it's just the way I am. But many people are saying to me that uh, in a post-COVID world, in this digital world in which we exist, they are having more meetings now than perhaps they did before. Why? I guess people need to catch up and people um, haven't got the opportunity to have those cooler conversations, you know, where, where you're gathered around the, 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 the coffee pot or you're gathered around the water cooler or maybe just catching somebody on a in a corridor and having a quick corridor catch up and, and asking them, hey, did you manage to do A, B and C? So now what people are resorting to is jumping on Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever software you may be using to have a physical interaction or a digital interaction, rather, should I say. Uh, and with it being digitized, what many people are saying is that um, in the pre-COVID world, they at least had the opportunity of walking from one meeting to another. So it would be physically impossible, unless it was in the same room, physically impossible for you to have back-to-back -back meetings, literally back-to-back, i.e., you know, a meeting finishes at 11 o'clock in the morning and the next one starts at 11 o'clock in the morning. But in a digital world, that is exactly what's happening. People are saying that they feel that there's no respite anymore. There's no opportunity to sit and reflect. And this is not just for introverts, this is for extroverts too. Many leaders, at whatever level they may exist in the organization, will tell me, have told me, that they want that opportunity to think about the, the you know, maybe the last hour that they spent with the, their colleagues or their peers talking about a certain issue. And they want to be able to digest that information or that experience and just to be able to reflect on it. 
And introverts will want that more than extroverts, but extroverts want that too, to some degree. But when you are literally from a back to in a, in a back to back meeting environment, which is what's happening in a, uh, with many organisations in a post COVID world, the danger of that is what the danger of it may be that uh, perhaps we are not thinking as deeply about the subject area of every single meeting as we could do because we haven't got that opportunity to reflect. There's a greater danger of um, burnout, people literally feeling exhausted because they are literally going from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting. And so many leaders have been saying this to me that, Cole, I'm so, so tired because there is literally no respite. There is literally no chance for me to breathe. And some people have even gone on to say, in my organisation, what is happening is these meetings uh, are being planned in by other people without any uh, sort of uh, contribution from myself as to whether I am available, or whether I need some space or whether I've got other work on, etc, etc. And what I end up finding is because my day is taken up with just meetings, the work that needs to be done after meetings, you know, the stuff that you need to do in terms of actioning the points that have been agreed or maybe to write things down or maybe to make the phone calls to other people to make sure, you know, we are moving forward. That stuff doesn't get done because I am literally going from one meeting to another meeting to another meeting to another meeting. And there is literally no respite. And often... You know, um, it means that I'm working over my lunch as well. I don't get time to even eat, eat lunch. Now, I think this is, when we think about it, this is the potential danger zone that uh, we can allow ourselves to unconsciously, as organisations, to drift into. Imagine if all of your staff in your organisation or in your team is in this situation where they are being driven from meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and they don't have the opportunity to relax, to reflect, to, to re-energize themselves from the last meeting. Imagine what damage that might be causing over a medium to longer term. How productive will that member of staff be? How productive would you be if you were in that scenario, if you are in that scenario. And I think this feeds into uh, the organised cultures that exist. Many organisations, as a consequence of um, remote working, perhaps had less faith or less trust in their staff or in their, you know, that was embedded in their cultures to trust their staff to work remotely. I know that, you know, many, many years ago, I have been party to many a debate at a senior level around whether we should open up flexible working to allow people to work from home. And I recall that in many of those debates, the question of trust came into it. Can we trust our people to, to work? Or will they be sitting there doing in very little else um, uh, rather than work, then you know maybe they're they're eating, maybe they're spending time with their family, or maybe they're going for a run instead of sitting in front of their computer and working. 
Well, of course, COVID came in. It pushed us in that direction. It forced us, if you like, to to take on this idea of um, working from home and remote working. And the trust element could not come into it anymore. We had to allow people to work from home. And for many organizations, it's proved that, hey, people possibly even work harder when they are at home because they have some level of freedom to fit in all of their other responsibilities in their life around this whole concept of remote working. But when it comes to meetings, I think the darker side of remote working is this sort of underlying issue around trust. I think many of the meetings that we have are driven by uh, this anxiety at a leadership level as to whether or not they can trust that the work that needs to be done is being done. So some of the meetings that we are involved in are in essence really micromanaging. They are intrusively measuring the performance of individuals unnecessarily. Now, imagine you had an organization where you felt absolutely trusted, where you were given freedom to make professional judgments, to know what work needed to be completed, to know what mission or objective uh, needed to be achieved. But you were given quite a lot of freedom and trust to do it in a way and at a time that uh, suited you as an individual. There's a lot of research out there that suggests that when people do feel trusted, when they do feel, feel valued and, uh, and appreciated as the, as the experts that they are in the area that they are involved in, that they will work to a much higher degree. Whereas people who are micromanaged in a le leadership style that I call a coercive leadership style, uh, then they are more likely to work to a minimum standard. They'll do what needs to be done. They'll work the hours that need to be worked but they won't go beyond that. Now, there's a new term for this. It's called quiet quitting. There's a whole load of new terms that we've learned over the last three years uh, around this sort of area of uh, organizational culture and how people feel, you know, everything from the great resignation, which has seen more turnover of staff uh, leaving organizations than in recent history to quiet quitting, where those who perhaps haven't got the courage uh, to leave the organization will just work to the bare minimum standard to now something called loud quitting. And loud quitting is really where people in organizations uh, are no longer quiet. They're actually speaking up. And this is where certainly in the United Kingdom, what we're seeing is a lot of industrial action uh, across the public sector, which I think is one of the, the biggest affected sectors from within the from from as a result of the COVID uh, phenomenon in the sense that most, much of the public sector was right at the forefront of delivering services throughout the entirety of the COVID experience and the lockdown experience. Uh, and now they are feeling exhausted and they are feeling, um, some are feeling less fulfilled and less appreciated and less valued than others. So now they are no longer quite quitting. They are either leaving their organization in droves and many, many public sector organizations are losing talent hand over fist um, or they are resorting to industrial action to have their voices heard. And we've had a spate of industrial action across the United Kingdom in the uh, last several months uh, that um, we haven't seen the scale of in several decades. So something big is happening. People are speaking up. And I think part of this whole 
um, culture that, uh, that that people are kicking back on, part of this culture involves meetings. So I want to talk about meetings. What are meetings and why are they required and how better can we do meetings and how can we show up and how can we make sure that the meetings that we do have are relevant, are productive? Well, I had a, a very recent um podcast interview for uh, for the Human Centre Leadership podcast with a vice president from a company uh, called Soul Publishing. Now, Soul Publishing is a digital media uh, uh, production company. It presents content, uh, digital content, uh, which is like inspiring, uplifting content. It has more than a billion followers. So it has a lot of coverage, global coverage uh, to consider has a lot of platforms that it uh, has to deliver to um, and has a workforce of several thousand spread globally um, and all working remotely. They were working remotely way before the rest of the world ended up working remotely. So they were already doing this. And one of the things that the vice president was saying to me, Patrick Wilkins, he was saying to me, he said, look, in our organisation, we don't do meetings. We have a culture of trust in our organization, but also a culture of accountability in our organization. When people aren't doing perhaps what they should be doing, we have a culture also of open conversations. We will challenge individuals and, uh, and let them know that, uh, you know, they're not, they're not playing their full part in what needs to be achieved. And I love this because, you know, I was only talking about this very same thing with leaders in a university that I was uh, delivering some content to yesterday, leadership content to yesterday. And we're having the debate around what is a healthy organization? I think a healthy organization is an organization where there are real human relationships. And when you have real human relationships in an organization, then you can build a foundation of trust. When you have this incredibly strong and solid, stable foundation of trust, from that you can build all sorts. From that you can build the, the, the room for healthy debate in that organization, a sharing of ideas and disagreements and debates and alternative views, uh, what I call cognitive diversity, which is far better than a just chasing demographic diversity and representation and targets and KPIs and figures and all sorts of uh, things like that. Uh, and when you have these open, honest debates, then, of course, you can hold each other to account. And therefore, anybody who commits to any, any, any decision, and this is what's happening in Soul Publishing, that not everybody contributes to the decision, but there's an understanding that when a decision is made, that everybody gets behind that decision. So there's a level of commitment. And when there is a level of commitment in an organization, then you can hold each other to account. You can say, hey, you were supposed to have done this part of the, the, the action plan, but you haven't done that. Uh, can I ask why? Uh, so it's this kind of stuff. I love what they're doing in, in this uh, company, Soul Publishing. And you must listen to the uh, interview that I carried out with Patrick Wilkins on our podcast and uh, the radio show. So uh, the question really is, well, how on earth, if you don't have meetings, and how on earth do you really get the message across? And he says, well, everything is accessible. Anybody in the organization can get onto the software that we use and, and see where we're at with various things and they can contribute. How great is that? Even with an organization that's, all, that's globally spread 
an organization that has a footprint across the world, an organization where everybody seems to be working remotely by and large, and yet everybody feels involved in the shaping and the direction of the organization without any meetings. So I'm asking the question really, is this the future of meetings? Is this how we should be looking at where we are as organizations? Is this the post-COVID world? Could we now finally break the, the, the cycle that we, we are stuck in around meetings? Could we finally maybe break that cycle and start thinking in a wholly different way? I think we can, by and large. I think we can. I don't think that we can eliminate meetings as such, but I think we can drastically reduce meetings and, all, and replace them with an alternative way of, of doing things. And in order for us to do that, first and foremost, as organisations, we need to build that culture of trust. In order to build a culture of trust, we need to have transparency and we need to have human-centric thinking. That's the first and foremost. Uh, we need to get comfortable with having those difficult conversations. We need to have platforms that exist that are accessible by everybody across the organization to see where things are and to be able to contribute to the ideas that are, you know, promulgating around the organization. I think that's fascinating when I think about that and how that could have worked in, you know, maybe in the police service where I worked before, we may have been able to drastically reduce the number of meetings that we used to hold to get things done and maybe even to accelerate the process of change. How fascinating would that be? We also talked about, you know, when we are bringing about change, often the, the problem is not so much in the front line delivering on the change that's been agreed by the executive or the senior leadership team. It's actually the communication between the, the senior leadership team and the middle management. The middle tier of management. These are the leaders in our organization that ultimately uh, will connect directly with our frontline staff. If the communication between the senior leadership team and that middle management isn't effective, if they don't feel that they are a part of the process, then of course the message gets diluted. So many, many senior executives, C-level uh, leaders will have said to me, we try to bring this in. I'm really frustrated that actually what we've delivered on is a much more diluted version of what we wanted. Well, perhaps that dilution occurs when your middle managers, the deliverers, if you like, of this change, um, aren't truly brought in. And in order for that to happen, there needs to be a symbiotic relationship between this, the middle managers and the senior leaders in, of the organisation. The, the, the middle part of the organisation need to feel they are a part of the change that's been brought about, that they've had an opportunity to, to contribute to the discussion and that they own that change. And often they are invited to the, the meetings that take place. But I think where we go wrong is how we perhaps conduct a meeting and even our understanding around what meetings are. See, let's just think about what goes on in a meeting. So you probably get an agenda. You probably have all the items that you are going to discuss and you may even have some standing agenda items. You'll come to the meeting room, you'll all sit around a boardroom table um, You'll go over the, the, the actions and the findings from the last meeting. Uh, you'll test to see where you are. 
and then you crack on with the agenda items for this particular meeting and you go through a very very structured kind of way that in it in of itself is not necessarily uh, bad I think, however, what we miss at meetings is a deeper sense of awareness. Nobody really teaches us uh, around meetings. Uh, nobody really teaches us about understanding. You know, I'm always talking about social awareness as part of emotional intelligence, really reading the room, reading the environment in which you're in. Nobody really teaches us to do that in across the meeting table. But if we were to do that, then we'd also understand that they are they tend to be a different a number of different personalities sitting around the meeting table. People come to a meeting with different agendas, different ideas, depending on which section they work in, which department that they might be a part of, who they are as an individual and a personality. And, and they will come as a different personality into that meeting. So what I want to do is just talk about these different personalities. And if we understand them, then maybe we could communicate them with them during the meeting in a slightly different way and build a better rapport and maybe get better outcomes of the meeting. That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it? So here are the eight personalities I think very often sit around a meeting table. So First, you have the leader. The leader will tend to be the person chairing the meeting or somebody who around that meeting table already has a, a level of respect or admiration maybe from their peers. I don't know, maybe because they are the expert in a certain area, maybe because they've got a level of seniority, whatever it might be, they are perceived to be the leader. Uh, then you'll have the extrovert. The extrovert um, in, a, in a meeting is is going to be the person that that gets more of their energy or more of their learning from having discussions and debates around the room. So they're probably going to be the most vocal people in the room. But then there are also the introverts. Now, the introverts in the room are the interesting people I always find in, the, in so much as, and that's not just because I'm a lifelong introvert, but the introverts for me have a level of depth that if it's not explored, it's an opportunity missed. The introverts will be sitting there quietly, maybe not contributing as much as uh, other people are around them. But you can see the introverts, they, they are thinking, they're constantly mulling things over, they're introspecting. And I think if I were a chair of a meeting, I'd be looking for the introverts. I'd be bringing the introverts in during a quiet moment and saying, OK, I just want to bring Carol in now. Carol, I can see that you've been doing some thinking around this. Have you got any thoughts that you might want to share with us? So they feel included, but also they are, you've just allotted a space in, uh, of time for them to contribute without anybody talking over them. With the extrovert, they're already in there. And the subtly different thing that we need to do with extroverts is just manage their time. They may have a lot of value to offer, but it's about managing their, their time and the, the, that they occupy within the meeting, across the meeting room. Um, and particularly when you've got a number of extroverts in the room, as we used to do in the police service. The other people I look for in the meeting room are the details people. These are, these are the people I know uh, are very analytical, very details orientated. They'll be looking for the the I's to be dotted and the T's to be crossed. They'll be looking for the analysis. They'll be looking for the data. And particularly if I'm not a details driven person myself, and I'm not, I will often bring in these people and say, 
you've read the report. Is there anything specific within the report that you think we need to really think about? Or is there anything in the data that stands out to you? And and for the details person, they are likely to be introverted anyway, but they also have this keen eye for data, detail uh, and intricacies. And it's their opportunity to bring out and shine out some issues that we will probably have overlooked completely, but it may have a significant part to play in everything that we're talking about. The next person is a creative person. Now, the creative person is likely to be a quite a, a sort of a flamboyant person, maybe an extrovert, um, very inspiring person. Uh, and the creative person needs to will bring the new energy into the meeting room. They will come up with the come up with the ideas off the wall, and they need to be allowed to have a certain amount of time where we can do, do a bit of blue sky thinking, as they call it, um, where there are opportunities for us to do, just do some freewheeling. But again, they need to be managed in the term, in, in the concept of time. There's always at least one team player. This is a player. This is the, the 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 colleague within the room that will take on responsibility. They want to do things right. They will they will step forward and volunteer for uh, anything that needs to be done. But the danger is that we can overburden these people. So these are the people that I would rely on if I were in a meeting room. These are the people that I would rely on to get the meeting back on track. Um, if I want the meeting to be moving forward and I'm stuck, I might bring in that team player for to bring in their idea uh, because I know it would be very supportive. The interrupter, there are two more, the interrupter and the multitasker. Now, they are both similar, but they're also slightly different in my view. The interrupter is the person that always seems to have an, a, an opinion. Now, they may be interrupting for a whole host of reasons. They could be interrupting because it's just the way they think. You know, they, they think at 100 miles an hour and they may have less communication skills or interpersonal skills to, than to allow somebody to finish their sentence. So they, they, they are chomping at the bit to, to, to say what they need to say. Um, but they may also be interrupting because they have an agenda. They may come from, you may be discussing, I don't know, let's assume it's a, it's some kind of a, a finance proposal, but the the proposal on the table will adversely affect a particular department. The interrupter may be from that department and therefore uh, will have an agenda to interrupt the process and the flow of the meeting. So they are uh, to be uh, noted, to be observed, to be managed, um, um, to be given the time, but to be managed so that they don't disrupt the meeting. And the final one uh, that I always look for is the multitasker. Now, the multitasker in the room is probably going to be the person that brings a laptop with them. They've got their phone out. Uh, they are very, very busy people. They've got so much going on. Um, they may have seen one or two other people in the room. They're thinking, oh, my goodness, I needed to catch up with them. So they're having these whispered conversations with people. They're on their laptop. They're on their uh, phone, sending messages, sending emails. Um and the danger with these people is that uh, they'll be attending a lot of meetings potentially, but getting very little done in the meetings. So I would bring the multitasker in a lot more. I would check with them. I would summarize with them. I would make sure that they're on track. Otherwise, we have to ask ourselves a question. Why are they in the meeting? So I just wanted to just have this discussion around meetings. Firstly, to ask ourselves, why do we have meetings? Why are meetings so important? Are we having meetings for the right reasons? Are there some meetings that we can drop? 
be mindful of the fact that in the in this digital world that uh, we can actually be burning people out when it comes to meetings, creating anxiety because the people aren't even eating, not having lunch, they're having back-to-back meetings, they're exhausted. Uh, and that can have all sorts of dire consequences like people uh, opting out by going off sick, by uh, you know having anxiety and stress or even leaving the organization or quite quitting. We don't want that. And the second element is when we are in meetings, let's make those meetings a bit more thought through. Let's think through the people who are sitting around the table and where they might fit, who they might fit with and how we might adjust our conversation or our communication style to better impact on these individuals. I hope that's been of use to you. Uh, Meetings is something I think about an awful lot. Um, I want to change the world in terms of the way we change our meetings. Have a great one. Thank you so much. And I will see you very, very soon. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.